0: Well. Good morning, Gateway. It's good to have you here. We, uh, we're starting a new series this weekend. And uh, we're talking about some of the, some of the traps that keep us from experiencing the kind of life that God intends for us. And uh, this morning, we're just going to kind of dive right in and... uh, get things going here and begin to, to go down this road of what the traps are and how to avoid them. And, and I want to start this morning by talking about something I call the performance trap. And I don't know, any, any of you had an, a near-death experience where you were pretty sure this was it? It, it was all done? Anyone besides I had one of those. Like, so I got to tell you this, I was, uh, I was like the ripe age of 13 and... Um, I was, uh, I grew up in Southern California, just about, you know, 20 minutes from uh, the beach, and so we would go down to the beach a lot. I was, I was used to being at the beach, used to swimming in the ocean, we had a swimming pool, I was very comfortable with water, but a grew up with a lot of rules too, I knew what you did and what you didn't do, and... One time in the summer I was at the, uh, at the beach at Huntington Beach with my family and a, and a bunch of friends and we were there and, and uh, I was kind of hanging out in the water a little bit and I, I started to break some rules. One of the rules that I broke was I, I, uh, I, I decided I was going to go out into the water without a buddy and you know you didn't do that. And I was told, you know, by my parents, if you go out in the water without a buddy, it's just automatic, you'll drown, so don't do that. And, uh, and then secondly, I didn't tell anybody where I was going, and third, I swam and I swam for some reason, and I swam way out beyond what I was used to, and uh, so I'm, I'm kind of out there in the water, and I'm swimming, I'm swimming out there, and I see everybody, if you've ever, if you've ever done that swim quite a ways from the shore, and you know you can just barely see over the water, and you can see all the people, and I'm kind of thinking, oh, this is is great nobody knows where I am I'm kind of out here hiding and you know it's kind of kind of fun and I was enjoying it and uh, I heard a noise and I turned around and this there's just monster wave just came crashing right down on me and uh, I had just enough time if you've ever been in that situation to get a good deep breath you know. And it hit me and it just knocked me down. And uh, so I'm going under the water. And if you've ever been in that situation or it just kind of tumbles you around until you have no idea, once everything settles down, you have no idea which way is up. So I, I went to open my eyes, but there was so much sand in the water and silt that had been mixed up and, and, and oxygen and, and the, the light was reflecting and I kind of opened my eyes and some sand got in there. You know how that is? So I instinctively just closed my eyes and I thought, you know, I, I remember thinking, um, I think the surface is uh, that way. And so I did what you instinctively do. I began to swim as hard as I could toward the surface. And uh, one of the things that was making, that kind of heightened uh, the whole situation for me was that was the summer, um, I kid you not, that was the summer that Jaws came out and I'd just seen the movie and I was almost positive when I put my eyes open that I saw him. I, I'm like, he was like right over there and so I'm just, I got to get to the surface and I'm just thinking, what, what, what was I thinking? What was I doing? And so I'm swimming as hard as I can and I'm swimming and I'm, you know, I'm starting to think, Wow, I, I, where is the surface? How deep could I be? And I realized, I, I don't know what direction I'm swimming in. I could be swimming down for all I know. So I thought, i gotta—I got to open my eyes again. So I tried to open my eyes, and still, I still couldn't see anything. There was just so much stuff going on in the water, and I kind of looked around, and I thought, oh, I think the service is that way. So, you know, I kept swimming and as I was swimming, thinking, I just started to have that thing in my mind, like, you know, where uh, you start seeing your whole life flash before your eyes. I was 13, so it took like 12 seconds and then, and it was flashing by and I thought, you know, this is it. This is going to be it. You know, at the funeral, my mom's going to stand up and say, I told him, I told him, <laughs> you don't go out in the water without a buddy. See, this is what happens. And, and, and everybody would say, you know, Well, that's what you get. And I was so young, and I had so much of my life before me, and I just, the whole, just the panic was just burned into my psyche. I can remember it today, like it was yesterday. And and, uh, as I'm swimming, and I'm running out of oxygen, I mean, I can just tell, that I I, I don't know what to do. I can't see. I don't know which way is up. And everything in my body just said, swim, swim, swim. Have you ever been where you're just, you're running out of breath, and you feel like you're going to explode? But my mind kept saying, stop, stop. Because my mind knew that if you're in water and you, and you don't know which way is up and you can't see and you're running out of air, the best thing you can possibly do is stop. Because when you stop, there's a little mechanism that God put in nature. And it's when we're in water, it's a thing called buoyancy, you know. And if you'll just stop trying, you'll start Floating toward the surface, but everything in my body just kept saying swim 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 But it stopped and it began to float up And as it turns out (laughs) I was probably like this far from the surface You know because it only took a second or two to get up and taking that big breath of air And you know something I thought about as 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 uh, over the years as life has gone by is how that that story as, as interesting as it is, it's so counterintuitive because for, for most of us, we have learned early in life that life is about effort, that life is about performance, that getting ahead in life is about achieving things. We have learned that when we work hard and when we perform well, good things come to you. But when you don't, usually they don't. We learn this at a very young age. We learn when we're in home, you know, that if we do certain things, we find our parents will be more pleased with us. They seem to like us more. They seem to accept us more. If we're careful about what we do, if we play by their rules, we learn when we start going to school that they just don't give out A's for no effort at all. You've got to put some effort into it. You want a good GPA? You want a 4.0? We learn it's all about performance. It's all about effort you don't get good grades by not putting any work into it at all and so what do we learn we learn it's about performance if we're on a team we learn if you want a good spot on that team and if you want your team to win you better perform you better work we learn that in relationships right good relationships are relationships where you work hard at being light we learn that in jobs you don't get ahead in your job by not applying yourself in our culture, we've drilled so far down in this whole concept, or maybe up, I'm not sure which way, that even in our culture, we've learned that even when it comes to your looks, you got to work hard if you're going to be accepted. you got to dress right and eat right. you got to Botox right and hair plug right and all that kind of stuff if, you know, if you're going to really be accepted in our society. It's all about effort and performance and achievement. Here's the problem. The problem is that when it comes to God, it doesn't work that way. When it comes to God, we learn that that our best efforts, our our, our greatest effort and achievement will never be enough, never be enough to earn God's approval. And the Bible's full of great godly men and women who understood that. They, They realized that. There's a guy named Abraham who we refer to as the father of faith. This guy was an amazing spiritual guy. He was the man. And one time when he was thinking about himself in relation to God, he said this, he said, I am nothing but dust and ashes. Now that's quite a statement because this was a tremendous man of faith who made some big decisions to follow his God. He says, but, and, and yet, he says, I realize, you know, I'm not the man. I don't have that all going together. I don't have what it takes. Abraham says, to be acceptable by God. There's a prophet named Isaiah, an incredibly godly man who has this vision, and and he sees God on the throne, and his conclusion is this. He says, woe to me because I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. This was a guy by all standards as far as we're concerned. He was a righteous guy. He He was an incredibly spiritual guy, but he says, I don't have what it takes to stand before the presence of God. One time Jesus took one of his disciples, Peter, out, and they were fishing. And they got this miraculous, you know, catch of fish. And it says that Peter fell at Jesus' knees. And he said, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Peter says, you know what? I don't have what it takes to be in your presence. I don't have what it takes to be acceptable to you. The Bible, in fact, says that that's true for every one of us. In Romans 3.23, it says, because all of us have sinned, every one of us falls short of the glory of God. And our sin has separated us from God. Our sin has made us unacceptable to God. We cannot be in his presence. And that would seem like terrible, terrible, terrible news to find out that we'll never be able to perform up to God's standard unless we read the verse right before this. We think of Romans 3.23, but let me show you what Romans 3.22 says. It says this. It says, we are made right in God's sight. Notice, when we trust in, what does it say? "When When we trust in our own works, does it say we'll be made right with God when we earn it? When we, when we work at it? When we swim toward God really hard? It's not what it says. It says we are made right when we what? When we trust in Jesus. Yeah, when we place our faith in him. When we stop trying to be good enough, because we'll never be able to do that. And when we let God take over. Every weekend when I preach, I try to put together a, a, a big idea. What are we we talking about this weekend? And I I put it in your notes because I want you to understand this. Here's our big idea for this weekend. When I realize that God accepts me through Christ, I am no longer living for his approval, but from his approval. And those are two dramatically different places to live from. And I want to talk about that this morning. There's a trap, unfortunately, that most of us fall into. A lot of us fall into this trap, I, I know that God accepts me through Christ, but if I was just a little bit better, God would probably like me a little bit more. If I worked just a little bit harder, God might accept me a little bit more. If I performed a little bit better, God might forgive me just a little bit more. We're going to look at a, a passage in Philippians chapter 3 this morning, written by a guy named the Apostle Paul, and, and Paul understood this performance trap probably better than anyone else. I want to read it for you, it's in your notes, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, I'm going to pick it up, and Paul's talking and he says this, he's talking about this whole idea of what does that person have to do to be acceptable to God. He says, now, yet I could have confidence in myself, in verse 4, if anyone could. If other people have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. In verse 5 he says, for I was circumcised when I was eight days old, having been born into a pure-blooded Jewish family that is a branch of the tribe of Benjamin. So I'm a real Jew, if there ever was one. And what's more, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. And zealous? Yes, in fact, I harshly persecuted the church and I obeyed the Jewish law so carefully that I was never accused of any fault. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake... I've lost all things, and I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, and is by faith. If you're here this morning, and, and the whole church thing, and the gospel's new to you, I, I want to encourage you, we're going to strike right at the heart of what the Christian life is about this morning. But if you're here and, and maybe you're thinking, you're looking over the notes and going, I've, I know this, I've heard this a thousand times, I wanna challenge you this morning to listen to the Spirit of God because I believe there's a deeper place for us to go when it comes to clinging to the grace of God. So I want to talk this morning in this passage about three keys that Paul gives us to beating this performance trap that we can fall into. And here's the first one. If we're going to beat the trap, we've got to recognize the trap. We've got to recognize what it is, and we've got to be able to recognize when we fall into it. Now in Philippians 3, Paul, he's, he's just giving us his spiritual resume. And in verse 4, he says this. He says, now, if other people have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Now, Paul's just talking about this. He's saying, if anybody thinks that they've done enough in their life, enough good works, that God would look at them and go, oh, man, you're, you know, you're the man. You're the woman. So yeah, come on in, you know. Paul says, if anyone could say that, it would be me. But he goes on in verse 5 and he says, let me just tell you a little bit about why I say that. He says, because I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Now, to Jews, that was, that was pretty big. That was important. Uh, it, the, the, the kind of funny thing about this is Paul's bragging about something, you know, that he didn't have anything to do with. It, this is a decision his parents made, but, but they believed that you had to do some physical things to be accepted by God so you know if you if you were eight days old and your parents decided to circumcise you that was cool if you're if you're 20 years old and you know you decided you want to follow God and you had to do this it was not so good you know but it was Paul just says I just I got that going for me and uh, then he goes on he says and then there's my heritage I mean I'm Paul says I'm from the right family tree if anybody was ever born into the right family it's me it would be like today, you know, maybe saying, you know, Billy Graham's my grandfather, you know, or, or I'm related to, you know, I don't know, Jay Vernon McGee, because I think that would be really cool. You'd have the accent and everything, you know, or, or Paul and Jan Crouch, or uh, maybe not, I'm not sure, but, you know, whatever, whatever it is that lights your fire, you know, it's where he would be like, wow, wow, I mean, I'm related to them. That That counts for something, right? Paul says, I've been circumcised. That, that counts for something. Uh, he says, I've been born into the right family. That gets me some brownie points with God. And then he says, he goes on to talk about some of the things he can take credit for. He says, I'm a Pharisee. Now, I know that doesn't mean much to us today, but back then, people would have sat up and said, whoa, Paul, you know, when he was talking to them, you're a Pharisee? So the Pharisees of, of, of all the Jews, there were 60 men who made up the group of Pharisees, and they were... They, they were the cream of the, of the, of the religious crop in Judaism. They, were the, they would have been the 60 most learned, most biblically knowledgeable, most, most powerful men in the world, 60. And then there was a group of, of 12, the inner circle, and we believe Paul was part of that. I mean, now, that's kind of a claim to fame, isn't it? Paul's like going, you know what? I'm one of the 12 in the whole world. I'm one of the 12. What did it mean to be a Pharisee? Well, it was a, it was a huge deal. It took a lot of work to get there. You know, to be a Pharisee, you, you memorize some scripture. Anyone ever memorize a few verses? Let me tell you how many verses these guys. These guys memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. The entire five books from beginning to end. Can you imagine that? They just knew these things by heart. The Ten Commandments, you heard of those? They ate the Ten Commandments for breakfast. They kept 613 commandments. They 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 knew them, they had memorized them, and they were always focused on keeping them. So Paul's just kind of saying, you know what, you want to talk about some accomplishments and, and zealous? He says, yes, in fact, I harshly persecuted the church. He's talking about the fact that there was a period when he believed that, that the church was made up of, of, of people who, were, who believed a heresy. So Paul would go around having them put in jail. And he says, and, and, and I obeyed the Jewish law, watch this so carefully, that I was never accused of any fault, of, of any failure. So Paul says, let me give you my credentials. I don't know what yours are, but let me give you mine. Uh, religious ritual, Check, you know, Uh, the right heritage, check, Uh, biblical knowledge, check, 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 you know, Uh, spiritual achievement, you bet, adherence to the rules, absolutely, Paul's got the resume, Paul's point is this, if anybody was ever good enough for God just to go, hey, come on in, Paul says it was me, but it's a trap, all it is 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 a bunch of boxes to check off, but it means nothing to God. When it comes to acceptance, 2,000 years later, people are still falling into that same trap that Paul fell into years ago. What do I mean by that? It's th- this is where we do what Paul did. We set up arbitrary rules. We decide, in order for you know, God to accept you, you have to do this, this, and this. And I say, we set up arbitrary rules because God never did it. God never set up rules that you have to keep in order for him to accept you. Never did it. You won't find them in the Bible. So... We do it for him. And we all put together kind of our own unique little list. And for most of us, no two lists are exactly the same. Like maybe for some of you, one of the things on your list is in order for God to accept you, you have to read, you know, the Bible, maybe, and you have to read this version of the Bible and you need to read it, you know, this many times a week or this many minutes a day. And if I if I do that, if I read my Bible for for twenty-five minutes a day, or you know, we're doing a read-through. If I if I do my read-through today, then I can check off the box. And I'm going to be good with God. Or maybe we do this, you know, well, you have to pray in a certain way. You have to pray certain words or pray, you know, three times a day. Or pray for 15 minutes or pray until you're bored and it hurts and your mind strays because then you'll really know that you've been praying hard, you know. Uh, or maybe it's, you know, you've got to go to church one time a month, one time a week, two times a week. Then I remember when I was in high school, you to go to church five times a week. If people said, why do you go to church five times a week? I would have told you because that's what makes God happy. That's what I've been told. You go to church five times a week, you're good with God. That's what you do. Some people, it's, you know, you give a certain percentage to the church or you serve in some particular ministry. For some people, it's not what you do that makes God accept you. It's what you don't do. Like, so some people say, well, I don't swear, you know, I don't use cuss words. I just use Christian cuss words, you know, dag nabbit and stuff like that, because that, God's okay with that. I don't listen to NPR because God doesn't listen to NPR. I don't watch R-rated movies, you know, I'd, I'd never do that. That's terrible. PG-13 with violence. That's okay, you know, but no sex and that kind of stuff. Uh, You know, or maybe uh, the big four. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs, and I don't play Guitar Hero, you know? And if I don't, if I don't do those things, then, you know, then God's good with me. But here's Paul's point. It's, it's a trap. When you set up a list of rules and you're checking off those boxes, it leads to one of two things. Both of them are equally bad. One is, it leads to a false sense of pride. Hey, look at me, man. I'm really something. God's lucky to have me as a child, isn't he? because of all the stuff I do. Or it leads to feelings of false unworthiness. You feel like you're not acceptable to God simply because of your performance. Here's my question for you this morning. Is it possible that there's some area in your life right now where you do it just to gain God's performance? Is it possible that maybe the reason you read your Bible is because you're trying to gain points with God? Now, you should read your Bible. But you shouldn't read your Bible because you think that it will give you points with God, that it will make you acceptable to God. Maybe it's, maybe it's your prayer life. Your prayer life isn't about having a relationship with God. It's about trying to earn God's acceptance. Or maybe you're one of those people who think, well, you know, you're living at home. If, I, if my parents are happy with me, then God's happy with me. So, so that's how I do it. That's how I focus on it. Or you know, if I get good grades and, and my teacher's happy with me and I make, you know, the honor roll, then God has to be happy with me, right? If I'm a good mate, if my, you know, if my mate gives me, you know, four out of five stars, and that's, that's probably good enough for God. If I go to church two times a month, it's easy to fall into these little traps. For years, I fell into that trap as a pastor. It's really easy to go, well, you know, God will accept me if I'm a good pastor. That, that's how it works. And how do I know if I'm a good pastor? Well, I kind of had these little, you know, if I get 10 compliments on the sermon this weekend, then that's God's little way of going, that's good, you're still going to heaven. We're still all right, you know. If I get five compliments, Complaints through email, that's that's not so good. I had a lady come up to me last night after church and say, you know, what's the best way to communicate with you? Is it an email? And I said, well, it depends. Is it good or bad? She said, it's good. I said, yeah, it's email, you know. That'll be one of the ten. If the the giving's good, if we're making budget, if uh, the church is growing, you know, then I would just feel like, oh, well, I must be okay with God. My question for you is this. Is there some way right now, some area of your life, where, quite frankly, it's just all about earning God's approval. So what do you do with those things when you find them in your life? Well, here's what you do. You do what Paul did. You call it skubala, all right? That's a Greek word, and we'll talk about what that means. Paul is, is talking about what it takes to be accepted by God. And here's what he's learned through all of this stuff. He says this in verse 7. But whatever was to my prophet, he's talking about all the stuff he did to be acceptable by God. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Paul just says this, all my religious efforts, and this is so interesting to me, he says, it brought no profit. No profit. Now what does he mean by that? Does he mean that it's, you know, why read your Bible? Why pray? Why go to church? That's not what he's talking about here. Here's what he says in verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Now that word rubbish uh, in, the, in the NIV here, um, it's, a very, it's a very polite word in the English, but it doesn't capture the the real meaning of the word in the Greek. Um, the word there for rubbish is the Greek word skubala. Can you say that with me? Scubala. Say it again. Scubala. Now, you never said that word really out loud in that culture in that day because it was an uncouth word. It meant, uh, it meant literally uh, dung. It was uh, you, diaper filling. It was, you know, uh, it was stuff you didn't talk about in public. You didn't do that. Here, here's what Paul says. Don't miss us. Paul says, all of that stuff that I did so that God would accept me, it was all, it was all scubala. All of it. He says, all of my works, scubala. So he just calls it what it is. I thought it was good. I thought it got me somewhere. It was scubala. All the rituals I did, scubala. All, my, my religious title, Paul says, I was a Pharisee. I was a man, scubala. All the events I attended, all of those hours in church, right, scubala. Now again, don't get me wrong, he's not saying it can't bring some kind of benefit, and we'll talk about that in a, few week, in a few weeks. But here's one thing it will never do for you. It will never make you right with God. All the people that he'd impressed, scuba. When I was reading this this week, it made me, it made me think about uh, years ago. Um, <clears throat> it was about 16, 16 and a half years ago. Uh, my wife and I were at another church. I was a youth pastor, and um, we lived in this parsonage, And there was a garage attached to the house that had been converted into a classroom for the college group. And so every weekend the college group would come and they'd have uh, their Sunday school in there. And we lived in the house that was attached to it and, and it was a classroom except we had a big upright freezer in there against a wall, and my wife was pregnant with our first child, was on the way, and so um, at the time, I was, a, you know, I was a youth pastor, and we were going to go from two incomes down to one, she was going to uh, quit teaching, and so we realized money was going to be tight, and so we started kind of stockpiling, you know. And uh, we had this freezer, and so we thought, well, we're just going to start filling it up with with meat, because I like meat, you know. And I thought, you know, someday we won't have any money uh, to have electricity, but, you know, we'll have meat, and that'll be really good, and everything will be great. We'll be eating steaks, but we we'll, won't be wearing shoes, but that's okay. So we we're, were filling this thing up, and we had people in the church who would bring us, you know, they had some cattle, and they'd bring us beef, and they'd fill it up. And every time I'd walk past that freezer, and you know, I'd be, just be like, oh, man, this is going to be... So so good, so many barbecues, and we're just kind of saving it up, filling it up. But, well, we went away for a few weeks that summer, and uh got, got good and hot, and the college group decided that uh, they were going to uh, paint the room. So they, they came in, and they painted one of the walls, and then they needed to paint the wall where the freezer was, so they moved the freezer to the other wall, and they plugged it in. And what they didn't know was that plug actually didn't have any electricity flowing to it. And so they plugged it in and it was locked and, and uh, they finished the room and left and we got back a couple weeks later and you know, I walked out in the garage and I thought, man, what, you know, what's that smell? And uh, I grabbed the key to the freezer and uh, I opened it up and I just remember opening the door and thinking to myself, should meat be moving like that? You know, it's just like, just just maggot infested f- f- Flesh rotting. I have a hair trigger gag reflex that only made everything worse. And and then I, I I closed the door, I ran into the house and I said, Honey, you know, I think you need to clean the freezer. <laughs> and, and she was like, she was like eight months pregnant and she said, you know, sorry, buddy, uh, and handed me some, you know, gloves that kind of covered my whole body, and, and uh, got a respirator, and and uh, had to get these, you know, I mean, you can't just throw that away, so I got these big, you know, thick bags, and I would go outside the garage, because the, the the big door had been sealed up, so there's just one little door, I would go out with a bag, and my gloves, and my respirator, and I, I'd take a deep breath, and then I'd run in, and I'd grab a handful of maggots and stuff, and throw it in the bag, and wrap it up, and, and I'd run back out, and I'd take a deep breath, and then I'd take a shower, and then I'd go do it all again, you know. I got all the way down to getting all that, all that meat in the bags, and, and just, uh, just mourning, mourning over all the barbecues that, that we had just lost. And I, I put it in there, and I got it all finally. I like eight bottles of bleach, you know what I mean? And just like, oh, I got it all cleaned out. And I remember looking at that freezer and thinking, all that effort, all that money... All that investment with no benefit at all. In fact, in fact, it would have been better off if we had never collected that stuff in the first place. That's kind of what Paul is saying here. You know, when you start to think that you can be good enough to work your way to God, it, it complicates your life in a way where it would have been better if you had never gone down that road in the first place. Paul says, skubala scubala. No benefit, you can't work your way to God. Is there something in your life that you need to count as scubala right now? Maybe you're taking pride in some of the rules that you keep and you think it's the keeping of those rules that make you acceptable to Christ. Maybe it's your spiritual disciplines. Maybe, they, maybe it's reading your Bible and praying. Let me tell you a great way to just kill reading your Bible. Do it for brownie points. Nothing will, take the, will just suck the life out of reading your Bible more than than doing it to gain approval from God. That's completely different than reading your Bible because you have God's approval, isn't it? They're two entirely different things. You know, maybe for you it's being involved in some ministry, and you do that ministry, and, and you do it because you think you're getting points with God. Have you ever heard people say, I love ministry, it's the people I can't stand? You know, that's usually said by people who are doing it because they're trying to impress God. What are you doing? Is there something in your life right now that, quite frankly, the reason you do it is because you you just feel like you have to do it. You have to do it in order to be acceptable to God. Because as great as some of those things might be, as much benefit as they might bring to, to people, the one thing they'll never do for you is they'll never make you acceptable to God. So if there's nothing you can do to be acceptable to God, how do you get there? Well, that's the third thing here. You receive... God's acceptance through Christ, and I would would add, by faith. You receive God's acceptance through Christ by faith. In verse 9, look what Paul says. He's talking about being found in Christ and, and, and not having a righteousness of my own, he says, that comes from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, And it's by faith. Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own. That word righteousness just talks about having a right standing with God. How does one have a right standing with God? Paul says, you can't get there by performing your way into God's good graces. You can't do enough good things. You can't stop sinning enough. You can't sacrifice enough. You can't work in a ministry enough. You can't give enough. Paul's point is this. If you want to be right with God, you have to stop swimming. You have to stop... Kicking. You have to stop trying to work your way up to God. You have to let God lift you up. You stop and you let Him lift you up in His grace. You do it through faith in Christ because of the the person that Christ is, because of what He did for us on the cross. God says when we embrace that, when we, when we believe that, when we stop trying to be acceptable and we embrace the fact that we are made acceptable through Jesus, that's when we get right with God. It's not Jesus plus good works. And we kind of have the tendency to do that sometimes, don't we? We're like, well, it's Jesus, but I got to do these things or keep these rules or do this ritual or not do this sin, and that's when I'll be acceptable to God. Paul said this in Ephesians. He said, it is by God's grace, that word grace just means unmerited, unearned favor. It is by God's grace that you have been saved through faith. Faith is just believing in Christ. It's not the result of your own effort, but it's God's gift so that no one can boast about it, not even Paul, no one. It's by God's grace that Paul was saved. It's by God's grace that we're saved. It's by God's grace that we stay saved. And here's the good news. You'll never be good enough on your own to be acceptable to God. And the good news is, you don't have to be. You don't. Because God gives us grace. You know, so the next time that the devil whispers to you, you're not, you're not godly enough to be a Christian, you can just say, yep, <laughs> you're right. The next time somebody says to you, you know what, you're, just, you're not good enough to be a Christian, you can say, that's right. Next time you just kind of don't feel worthy because something you did, something you said, just remember, the thing that makes you acceptable to God isn't your performance. It's Jesus Christ and what he did for you. Again, the statement we said at the beginning God accepts us through Christ. And because of that, we're no longer living for His approval, but from His approval. For and from. Can I just tell you that that, that, changes, that changes everything. When we move from trying to do things for God's approval to doing things from God's approval, it changes everything. When, it, when I first came to Gateway... And I've shared this before, but when I first came to Gateway, I hadn't trained to be a senior pastor. I I hadn't planned on being a senior pastor. And so when I came here, I felt uh, rather unprepared. But I'd spent enough time around senior pastors, and I'd heard a lot of their stories. I'd heard a lot of their, like, horror stories uh, that I learned there's some things you don't do. When you're, a, you know, when you're a senior pastor and you go to a church, I'd heard stories about guys who went to church and they, uh, as a senior pastor, and they preached on something they shouldn't have preached on, or they, you know, they wore something they shouldn't have worn, or they said something they should not have said, or they, you know, didn't eat something at the potluck and had offended someone, or, or, or whatever it is, and and people weren't pleased and they were out looking for a new job in six months. And I remember when I came to Gateway, thinking, well, I don't want to be out looking for a new job in six months. And so I did what a lot of guys. Do I didn't even think about it, but my focus for the most part was I just need to do things for your acceptance, and so that was a big driving force when I first came to this church. Whenever I was preaching, I would preach for the acceptance of the body. When I got up on the weekends, I dressed for your acceptance, which at that time was a suit and a tie. Uh, The way I spent my week, I did it for. The approval of everyone. So if they said, what are you doing this week? And I said, well, here's how I'm spending my time. They'd be like, oh, good. Then you're, you're good with us. Everything I did was all about earning your approval. I've got to tell you something, man. When you do things that way, it stinks. It just sucks all the joy out of ministry. Well, a couple of years went by. And, uh, and uh, I got this idea. Um, from from traveling around and visiting a few churches of guys that mentor me, I I got this idea. I thought it would be really cool in our church, this is when we were in a little building, if we had like a, a video screen you know, and uh, we didn't have one of those at the time, and it seemed like one of those newfangled things that'll probably come and go, like CD players and cell phones, and you know, we're just like, oh, well, it probably won't last, but I thought it'd be really cool if we had a video screen, and we could project scripture and, and, and notes on the screen to make it easier for people to follow along, and so I, I realized, I thought, boy, you know, this could, th- this could be touch. I mean, this could cost a guy's job if it doesn't go well, so I kind of put this whole presentation together, and I had the whole had the outline and the charts and the graphs and I, uh, you know, I was gonna, you know, add tears at the appropriate place and everything and I went, I went to the board and I met with the board and I said, I've got this idea, I wanna do this video projector and guys are like, what, a video what? You know, it's a projector where you project stuff up on the screen, well, why would you do that? Well, you know it's the Bible and you know I get to see him kind of like, you know, okay. And so I'm 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 like, okay, so let me tell you why we should do this. And I'm I've been praying about this. I'm just really I, I think it's going to be a great thing. So I I launch into it and I'm about 5 minutes into it and one of the deacons kind of kind of leans into the table and he said he just interrupts me and he says, "Why are you doing this?" And I thought to myself, see, this is why it's a good thing I have a two hour presentation ready because I'll just, I'll bore them into submission. You know what I mean? They'll just, they'll, they'll just give in. So I said, well, what what are you talking about? Why am I doing this? And he said, no, 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 I don't mean, I don't mean, why do you want to do this? He's like, "I, I don't know if it'd be good or bad. I don't even care about that. He's like, why, why are you trying to convince us that this is a good thing? I don't understand that. And I said, well, you know, because. (laughs) <laughs> I like my job <laughs> and, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm afraid if we do it and, and you guys aren't behind it or if we do it and it flops or if we do it and people think it's sacrilege, you know, or something like that, I don't want to be, you know, hanging out there. And, 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 and this, I could still remember he looks across the table and he says, you know, you got to stop worrying about what we think about you. You need to start focusing on what God wants from you. And it seems right now like you absolutely know what God wants you to do. So maybe you should do that and stop worrying about us. And then he said this, and this is what really made it click for me. He said, you know what? Just for the record, we love you, and we accept you, and we're behind you. I mean, what are you thinking? Are you thinking we'd fire you if this didn't go well, you know? Of course, I didn't say it, but I was thinking, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. But I remember going home that day, and and I realized that changed everything for me. Suddenly, I wasn't, I, I wasn't preaching anymore for your approval. I began to preach from your approval. And that changed everything for me. I realized I didn't have to dress anymore for your approval. I was free. I was, you, you, I was free from that. I knew I was accepted. I, I knew I was loved. It changed when I would come into a worship service and I would worship with you I didn't have to worship anymore, kind of looking around. Maybe if I was really getting into the worship, you know, I'd be like, well, better, no, 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 don't, no. People are looking, you know. I didn't have to worry about any of that anymore because I had your approval. Now I was free to work from that. It changes everything. I- imagine, imagine living a life where you're absolutely freed. You're free from living for God's approval. And now you're just free to live from it, would it change the way you read your Bible? If you began to read the Bible from a place of God's love and acceptance, instead of reading it for God's love and acceptance, would it change the way you pray? Would it change the way you talk to God, if you realize, I don't have to talk with God anymore in a way that tries to impress him, I don't have to impress him, through Christ, he totally accepts me, now I can just have a relationship with him. Would it change the way you go to church? Would it change the way you worship? Would it change the way that you, you, you serve other people? Would it change the way you forgive people who sin against you because you have been freed from trying to earn God's acceptance? You just have it through Christ. Would it change that? Would it, would it, would it change, you know, loving, difficult people around you? Would it, would it change the practice of, of generosity in your life? Would it change your marriage if you realized you don't have to be a good husband or wife now to earn God's approval? Because it's not about that anymore. You're now now free to be a loving, generous mate because you have God's approval. You're free now to do that. Imagine an entire church like that. I was thinking about that this week. Imagine a church where everyone who comes on the weekend and, and, and everyone who worships, They're not looking at other people. They're not thinking about other people. They're not worried about, are people looking at me? None of that's going on. It's just a church when people gather together, right? They're, They're just free to worship from a place of love and security and acceptance. Would it change the way we worship? Would it change the way we serve one another? Would it change the conversations that we have? I mean, I believe the answer is absolutely, positively, yes. In the next six weeks, we're going to talk about some really specific areas that uh, uh, kind of dive down into this. But I just want to tell you this. This is the most important thing you need to grasp in this entire series is that through Christ, you are accepted by God. It has nothing to do with your works or your performance. It's all about God's grace. You just need to breathe that in. You just need to enjoy that. Let's pray together. Father God... I want to thank you for just the, the clear message in Scripture because our tendency as human beings is to try to work our way towards you. It's to try to, to earn your love and earn your acceptance and earn your approval. It's just something about our nature that, that we gravitate towards that. But I pray that this morning, this morning we could just kind of shed those shackles, those chains, that, that, that trap of trying to perform of trying to work for your love, of trying to earn your acceptance, that we would realize this morning, I mean, just, that we would just breathe that in down to the depths of our soul, that we are accepted through Christ, period. We are your children. You love us and you accept us and we are now set free to live from a place of security to live from a place of, of, of eternal life because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Father God, if there's any area of our life that your Spirit has pointed out to us this morning, something we've been doing, and it's been more about getting your approval than anything else, maybe it's our Bible reading or the way we pray or... Or why we're involved in, in, in a ministry. Or why we give or why we don't give or whatever that is, Father. I pray if your spirit has pointed out something to us that this morning, that we can just do what Paul did. Recognize it. That we can just call it what it is. It's rubbish. It's, it's trash. It's scubala. We just, we want to let it go. We want to be free. To live for you because of what your son has done for us. And Father, I would pray for anyone who's here this morning and and they've never given their life to you. So far, their whole approach has been, well, I'm I'm working on it. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Christ, because, you know, you're working on it, it's time for you to stop doing that. It's time for you to stop trying to be good enough and just accept God's gift. And if you're ready to do that, you can just pray right now to God. You could just say, dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for sending your son to die for me. I'm, I'm tired, I'm done of trying to earn your approval. And I'm so grateful, Father, that I don't have to. So today I'm, I'm, I'm letting it go. I'm going to stop trying. And I'm going to accept what your son has done for me. I want to thank you that Jesus died to take away my sin. I want to thank you that through Christ, I can have a right standing with you. Father, I pray that you'll teach me how to live from your acceptance. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen.